Immortals, and welcome to a podcast, but evil. I'm Doug Lee. I'm Dan Oster. And this week, we're talking about Cthulhu. Cthulhu! You know, it's... Cthulhu. It's funny, you should sort of gag on pronouncing that, because <laughs> it's not pronounced Cthulhu. Oh. Um, that is how it's spelled, and so that's how everyone's used to saying it. But Lovecraft kind of went out of his way... Uh, the the author who created Cthulhu uh, went out of his way to say that it should not be pronounced that way. He gave a couple of like weirdo pronunciations, but like I think one was closer to like Cthulhu, like kind of drunky. And that didn't take, huh? That didn't catch on. No, uh, and obviously not representative in the text. But it kind of didn't matter because Cthulhu, as we'll be talking about, is a cosmic entity, and he wanted to make a point that like Cthulhu or any of these other pronunciations were. A, as best as the human voice instrument could get to approximating what this alien language sounds right. like. Right. Like, to pronounce it properly, I would have to remove your tongue. Basically, yes. You would have, you would have to have an entirely uh, different set of mouth okay. parts. So his name is basically like Zoe Dashnow. Yes. That's a, that's a good analog. <laughs> and like Zoe Deschanel. put it Deschanel, in terms we all can understand. Right. And like Zoe Deschanel, her mere presence can drive you mad. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> to gaze upon her is to gaze it's upon to know madness. insanity. <laughs> How is it not Katy Perry? I don't understand. Yep. Um, all right. So... If I may, mm-hmm. this is the segment we like to start with where we just kind of, what, what do what does Dan know about Cthulhu just off the bat? Which is also a functional segment, not just to make me look like a jerk, but also to kind of bring us all up to speed. Right. Assuming you, the listener, don't know Cthulhu. <laughs> not familiar <laughs> with him. Um, so I will, I will attempt this here. Mm-hmm. Uh, very large octopus faced, like he's got the body of a man. Kind of the head of an octopus and bat wings. Yes. <laughs> yes. He sleeps beneath, he's a, he slumbers beneath the Pacific Ocean. Yes. All right, that's where he, that's where he is. He's uh, created by H.P. Lovecraft in the, I want to say 20s? Yes. Okay, also horror good. author H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, is sort of the central figure in what is known as the Cthulhu Mythos, which are these stories that H.P. Lovecraft wrote about uh these kinds of entities i guess is he a great old one is that what he's i called? believe yes he is cthulhu is a great old one there are other kinds of these entities that are referred to he throws around terms like gods but all of this is very loose because the although there is sort of a pantheon of these entities to some degree that was developed by later authors that mm-hmm. uh kind of springboarded off of his stuff um, but even in canon, there, there's always this sense of like, well, we don't have a great grasp of this. Right. We and don't. that's kind of, that's like the last thing I sort of know about it is that a kind of a central, uh, uh, theme or emotion in these stories is just the, the utter insignificance of humanity. These things, they're older than us. They're far more powerful than us. We are like, if we're lucky insects, but more like bacteria to them. I mean, we really just don't factor into their, their plans and machinations. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. That, that, that's a theme that runs through a lot of Lovecraft's work. And I think to understand, um, where to start with Cthulhu, I think it's probably good to start with Lovecraft because Cthulhu is sort of the mascot for the HP Lovecraft writings. Um, although, 
Cthulhu himself doesn't appear in a lot of these stories. He's occasionally referenced. He's obviously the central focus of the uh, the story, The Call of Cthulhu, uh, which whereas it talks about that, that's the most kind of concentrated Cthulhu content mm-hmm. you get. The rest this would not be a, a telephone call. Uh, no, this is a. <laughs> Hold, please, for Mr. Cthulhu. (laughs) Yeah, in the 20s, they would have had to have done that, right? (laughs) This is like... Yes. Cthulhu 555. Operator. Operator, connect me to the nether realm. uh, Quick tangent. uh, The the notion of a telephone operator is so antiquated. It's funny. I realized, like, I I would have to explain that to my daughter to even know what that is. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You definitely seem like a boomer. Uh, yeah and i am a post boomer uh so <laughs> okay so sorry uh i've got us as, as i usually do do oh no uh, no sidetracks are fun all right so where are we now? <laughs> no i don't know we were t- so i uh, lovecraft right lovecraft you, you kind of need yeah. to understand a little a bit about him personally he's a he's an odd guy um and before we kind of get into it like big disclaimer um, one, you should definitely, if you're listening to this and have any interest, you should go out and read H.P. Lovecraft's stories. They are phenomenal. I think he's one of the most important and, and best horror writers of all time. It, it, but interesting. <laughs> I, they're a little dense. They're a little hard to get into. He, yeah, he uses things like an epistolary style, which means that, you know, the, the sometimes, and this one is one of these, where it's actually a double epistolary story. Because you are in the in the role of the reader, the story opens with telling you like one sentence that says like from the you know from the writings of such and such. So you, as the reader, are already reading a collect a writing by someone else, and that person is himself going through a deceased person's effects, which includes the yeah. writings that he's relaying to you. So there's this extra layer of unreliability to this, and it makes you feel like okay, I'm reading a story about a story. Um, but to kind of get back in, so that, that's one reason this story is particularly dense, but his writing in general is just, his prose is dense. It's a little hard to read. Right. It's not something you just glide through. No, it, but the concepts he's working with are far and away so much more interesting than most writers and, and heavily influenced everyone who came, comes after right. him. Like, Stephen King for sure. Oh yeah. You don't get Stephen King without Lovecraft, especially because right. he has a shared mythos as well, where all of his stories are interconnected. Lovecraft right. isn't doing that quite to the same degree, but it, it's, you know, there's no question. There's a direct line from, from Lovecraft to King. Okay. So there's a, but here, the butt, the butt is when you and get, I think in, I know what it is. <laughs> you know what it is. The butt is, he is freaking racist. Um, <laughs> And like if you were to I thought about if you were to line up like racism, pros and cons. HP <laughs> Lovecraft goes in the pro column, but barely. Okay. And that's the only thing that goes in the pro column for racism. Like because the one thing his racism produces is xenophobia. <laughs> you know, like he is he is scared. Like he is as a person, he is afraid of the unknown. Uh-huh. And he channels that into this work. So right. unfortunately, and we, had, so we were talking about this guy. John, was it John Campbell who John, written? Who right? goes there? Yeah. Who, who goes who, there? So we had talked about that in the in the podcast about the thing from another world, and another guy who was a racist and a and a, and a jerk as a common theme, you know, from the era. Uh, so yes, here, and here we are. Here's here, here's here's the classic example of that. <laughs> right. Um, now that means that when you read some of the stories, there will be occasionally parts where he, um, talks sometimes indirectly and sometimes directly about in particular black people. 
<sighs> as being, you know, less than everyone else. And that's a big hurdle. <laughs> it is a big hurdle. <laughs> It, this is why this is why my feeling on Lovecraft is not just this, but also the density of it is that he I, he kind of feels to me like the kind of guy who's he inspired works that are I don't want to say superior, but certainly more accessible and enjoyable. Yeah, he, <laughs> in my his, opinion, the worldview of these stories is exceedingly bleak. Right. Um, the, that you know, not just that we are insignificant, but that we are we are. It, the tone of this is like you are out walking on an icy lake and you don't realize you, you believe that the ice is thick enough for you to walk on. Right. And if only you knew just how razor thin it was and was waiting for you underneath, you would lose your mind. Right. Mm. Cause it's not just that like, Hey, these things could step on you, but it's re- literally like all life as we know it, is, you know, just, you know, a hair's breadth away from the gaping maw of monstrosities we can't conceive of. It's so funny, though. You really can draw, like, a direct line from this worldview to some of these guys on the internet, you know, who sort of see the world that way. Who are right. constantly afraid of the other, who feel like that's the and conspiracy theories and all that stuff. It's true. You really, you get a guy who, who probably harnessed that in the most productive way you can, which is to turn it into a bunch of uh, creative works. Yeah. Fi- creative. Yeah. Fiction. Absolutely. And I, th- I kind of understand like why this is compelling today and not just to like internet trolls, because you look at where we are now, as we are recording this, we are we in yet another week of quarantine Right, And it's this reminder that, like, the civilization we all kind of just take for granted can be taken away. Like, we, we operate, like, we all know, like, hey, at some point, you know, the sun is going to give out. The earth will become inhabitable, uninhabitable. But those things feel like they are so far away and Wait so distant. You said the earth will become inhabitable. Doug, are you, are you a Cthulhu monster? <laughs> I think of myself as more of a Shoggoth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Are you a, a, a me me me? I don't know what they are. Like a me post? No, I don't know. That's where Balky's from. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's he, the imperfect stranger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best Lovecraft story. For sure. <laughs> the imperfect stranger. Um, <laughs> so it's letters. It's letters to my dear cousin Larry. <laughs> Uh yes. I my heart um, is heavy. I can no longer do the dance of joy for what I have experienced. Uh, um yeah, but I mean that that is part of it is that's that is his worldview. It's it's part of, you know, look we're, we're he's writing at a time that is post World War 1. So there's a lot of okay. there's a lot of uh artistic works at this point that are heavily just weighed haunted basically by the tra- the uh the horrors of world war 1. Right, right. He's not immune from that. But also he had personal issues where I ca- I forgot to look at this. I know at least one of his parents uh ended up in a mental asylum when he was fairly young. Um and it might have been both. Um he definitely but either way he had um profound mental illness um as a part of his hmm. f- like formative years. And this, and this, of course, is one of the big themes, uh, at least that people take from his work. Again, I, 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 I think of the, the – I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, 
because there's a ton of stuff that gets inspired by Lovecraft from movies to other books to uh, games, you know, a lot of video games, board games, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. But one of the things they always they always use some mechanic that has to do with insanity in the game. Like you can lose by going insane. Yeah. Um I, to kind of jump around here, one of my favorites of these, while not explicitly Lovecraft, is heavily Lovecraft inspired. Did you ever play a game called Eternal Darkness? Sanity's I have not. Uh, well worth your time if you can find. It was a GameCube game, so it's hard to emulate. But okay, um, I think I've heard about this one. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So um, it involves Lovecraftian type entities and a plot that spans millennia, and you play as twelve different characters in twelve different points in time, kind of encountering. Uh, these things and being driven mad by them. Um, and it's fantastic. But one of the core mechanics of the game is that anytime you encounter their encounter, um, creatures that serve these gods or, um, anything that basically is out of the ordinary, you have a sanity meter that decreases. And as the sanity meter in the game decreases, these crazy effects start to happen. Well, like, right. well, first, like the screen kind of starts to tilt and then like, blood drips down the screen and you can hear like these weird, like almost baby crying sounds. And then some of them are really funny. Like some of them make it look like the game crashed. That looks like it's fucking with your TV. Like the volume mm-hmm. appears to go down. Um, there's all kinds of these and some of them, they range from, you know, horrific to really funny. Um, but that was a really great, like you want to play that game with your sanity as low as possible just to experience <laughs> that stuff. There's one where they show up a blue screen of death. Like it's, right, it's really right. great. Um, but it, as you mentioned, that is a key component of that game and many others because it's a key component of, of this writing. Yeah, when you say something is Lovecraftian, you're usually I, – I interpret that as meaning two things. One, the types of, of creatures are going to have a very specific look to them, which is sort of hard to describe. It's almost like you can only see them in your peripheral vision. They're amorphous and tentacled and just kind of – Hard to even behold, you know. And then the other thing, of course, is the insanity. Those those are sort of the two elements that people seem to borrow the most when they make something, you know, quote unquote, Lovecraftian. Yeah, that and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be even exposure to the creatures. It can it's like exposure to knowledge. You know, like right. now, now you that can you can read something that <laughs> disquiets you to the point of driving you crazy. Right. Once you've learned this information, you can't unlearn it. And now, you know, it colors how you experience the world. That's where you get like the Necronomicon coming in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, is it. Our, our modern equivalent of that would be like WebMD. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You, <laughs> Once you've read about that, that lesion on your back, <laughs> you can't unlearn that. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't Google teratoma, whatever you do. <laughs> You'll be driven mad. <laughs> you might. It's pretty gross. Um, we should talk about Cthulhu himself, though. As we, oh, right. We yes, kind okay. of set so the stage a, for But this. that's a good primer on, on Lovecraft himself and the kinds of stuff that he, he wrote. Yeah. And again, Cthulhu is the mascot for this. Um, and to a lot, I think this is probably a lot of people's entry point to Lovecraft's writing is probably this. And there's maybe a handful of other stories that are kind of the big ones. Um, but th- for Cthulhu, this is where y- you start. Um, and Cthulhu is notable, as you said, he sleeps. Um, he slumbers in the sunken city of Relier beneath the Pacific Ocean. And Relier is what uh, is described as a cyclopean 
city, meaning like it's not just like ancient ruins. It's extremely ancient and very alien looking. Like they talk about it being at these weird, the buildings of what's left of them are in these like non-Euclidean angles and stuff that are hard to Oh, Imagine another one of those things in. where it's like, I can't describe it. You can't process it. Well, no, he describes it. He, this is one of those ones where he does describe it, but it's hard to fathom how people would choose to build things like this. It's that, it's mm-hmm. that kind of like, you know, was this built by humans? What, what kind of entity would, would do right. this, would leave this footprint behind? Um, and so. This is like the Disney concert hall in downtown Los Angeles. Yes. Why would anyone? <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, it's sort of like giant a giant reflective, the, right? A, a metal inside-out artichoke <laughs> sort of thing. Um, yeah, so the, so he slumbers in this uh, s- uh, submerged city, and so he does sort of appear towards the end of the story, Call of Cthulhu, because there's the, one of these letters um, describes an encounter with him, um, and. We're left wondering if, of course, if if it's real, um, if, you know, because the world hasn't ended for the writer, or right? For the because reader. the idea is that uh, were he to awaken, he would bring with him the end of the world. Correct. And so the Call of Cthulhu story is a, uh, in large part, about uh, these types of like cults that worship Cthulhu and have existed for millennia and are mm-hmm. trying to bring about his. Uh, return from the bottom of the sea. So, and this is another element that people use a lot when they when they make Lovecraft games. These cults, cultists. Oh yeah, it's you know a doomsday cult. I think that concept has been around for uh, a long, long time, and it's always evocative. I think that like because that's that that people would welcome the end of the world because they believe something better is waiting on the other side. I guess even despite I mean, all evidence, like, I don't want to go down that hole. We already went down it so deep last time, but I mean, there's certainly modern day Americans that seem to have apocalyptic fantasies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it only works if I guess if you believe that the apocalypse is just the bandaid you rip off to get to something better. Um, but we don't get a whole lot about what these things other believe other than that they are just, you know, enthrall, enthralled with the concept of Cthulhu and are trying to bring him back. And there's this chant that they uh, they just constantly chant. And it's hard to translate. The, or, I mean, it's hard to say it. I, the translation, let's see, where is it? Pinglui Muglath Cthulhu Relie Doug, what are you doing? No, don't recite it. <laughs> uh, so you they fool. <laughs> I know. Uh, and I'm trying to find... Oh, so which means, uh, according to Lovecraft, in his house at Relier, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming, which is super evocative. I love that. Um, and the other quote that, that comes from the Necronomicon... Um, You'll is, definitely read that out loud. Yeah, well, I'm reading it in English, so we're safe. Um, which is, that is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. Um, so there's this notion that, like, Cthulhu is sort of dead and not dead, and he's in this dreaming state, whatever that mm-hmm. means. Also, I like that he, it's in his house. In, it's not even like a palace. It's like his house. <laughs> yeah, his duplex. Right, would, you know. Um and dreaming means something special to in Lovecraft stories. It's not like there's a whole lot concept in Lovecraft stories that dreams are, um, they transport you to another 
place. Right, you literally. go somewhere when you dream. Yeah, there's a a, a whole Lovecraft story called uh, what's it called the the dream of the unknown Kadath, something like that, uh, which is apparently not very good. It's very long winded, but it, it involves a person traveling via dreams to an alternate dimension. Um, Where he's taking a test that he hasn't studied. And his for. teeth fall and, out. <laughs> 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 his mouth is full of chewing gum. Um, yeah. Uh, so this concept that Cthulhu is dreaming, quote unquote, implies that he is still doing things to influence the world, and that horrors we experience. Uh, in our day-to-day lives and things like even things like war and famine and plague are in some way ripple effects uh-huh. from this corruption he sends out into the world via dreams. Okay. So, uh, nice fella. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just had something before he went to sleep that he shouldn't have, and now he's having nightmares. That's all. Um, okay, yeah. so that's Cthulhu, and 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 when he comes, why does he bring about the end of the world? How does that how does that go? I believe it, part of it is that I, I don't know if it's that he brings other similar entities with him. He he, the history is supposedly that he is a cosmic entity. This this is a something that came to Earth from space. Um, but thinking of them as space aliens is, I think, a little too simplistic. Mm-hmm. Because of kind of the the scope of what they are and what they do, um, right? And they're interdimensional. They're more and... like yeah, they're closer to gods than they are to aliens. I think right. Um, There's just shit about them you're never going to understand, and the stuff you do understand is going to drive you crazy. Right. Uh, in fact, so the the idea of how they bring about the end of the world. A good example of this: there was a uh, in 2008 there was a video game released called Call of Cthulhu, which is not a direct adaptation of the story but um, takes a lot of elements from it and other Lovecraft works and is kind of a, a pastiche. And the game has multiple endings, one of which is when Cthulhu is, is summoned. And it ends with like just this scene of people just rending their clothes and biting each other and like going totally like not just mad, but like feral. Yeah. And like, that's the end of the world. Just everyone just literally tears each other to pieces. We can do that on our own. We don't need Cthulhu for that. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so he's an interesting character, specifically an interesting villain, because he's mostly in the background. He, he's someone that influences things indirectly, and, and you get kind of glimpses through other creatures that, you know, whether they serve him directly or, you know, he's interesting. You don't, you don't really deal with him, and you don't defeat him either. No, you. I mean, by definition, like Lovecraftian... the. A Lovecraftian ending is never a happy ending. The best you can hope for is to usually to postpone this. Right. You're right? like, oh, you know, you're you've been completely traumatized by the experience, and you you're alive, and but for how long? You know, it's that one of those things. Right. But but at least you have stopped some calamity from happening today. You know, right. but it may happen tomorrow. It um, almost certainly will eventually happen. Yes. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he is an interesting villain that he is indefatigable. Um, and, and again, like you said, not, it's, it's more about like the, the shadow he casts rather than Cthulhu himself doing anything. Um, mm-hmm. But there's obviously, there's some evidence. Dread of, is really the word. Yeah. Like, you know, this just pervasive sense of dread in these stories. But there are also hints that like he, Either it's not totally sleeping. Like again, you get the one part of the story where supposedly it like it chases a, a boat 
full of sailors and they describe mm-hmm. being terrorized by it. Um, but also even like the opening part of the, of the tale, um, he talks about um, a statue of Cthulhu. And so obviously someone had to see it to uh, create a statue of it. Um, but it may be that they see it in their dreams or in some other right. fashion, but it, just because his, his, it was, you know what? It was just a guy who looks like Cthulhu. That's he a rough one look. of those faces, the tentacle faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tentacle face guy. A Zoidberg. I get this all the time. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not the great Cthulhu. No. Uh, in fact, Cthulhu is kind of unique among Lovecraftian horrors because we do get a fairly definitive description of what it looks like. Like you said, most of them are like completely That's impossible. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it tends to be a little more interpretive when people try to to render these other ones. All right, so that's that's you know Cthulhu. He's he is a villain, but would you? But he got his 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 uh, intentions are so kind of hard to decipher. Um, where would you put him on the alignment? I think you, know, you have the alignment chart. I think you have to put him as as neutral. Um, he's almost, again. It's again. It's hard because the the lawful, neutral, or chaotic evil alignments are pretty much founded in intent, and and since you can't really discern his intent, <laughs> right? The the evil that he causes is all incidental. It's all just you know uh, ripple effects from his his presence. Right. So, um, I guess you would have to call it. My best guess is neutral. Maybe chaotic. A lot of Lovecraftian entities yeah. are described as chaotic evil, or even just true neutral, um, because they are not. Uh, it's not like he's. It's almost hard to say he's indifferent to the harm that he causes because we're not even sure that he's aware or thinking about. Right, it. and you know another thing I think about with these stories is sort of just the way reality kind of gets distorted. You know, things like like plant life and stuff like it just gets like twisted or time time yeah it gets it gets like manipulated it's 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 like it is there is this element of is this actually happening is reality itself like flexing and rending what's real what isn't yeah very very disquieting stuff and really deeply influential from that point forward in 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 very specific and less uh, direct ways well a good exa- uh, a good yeah. example of like a uh, an a modern version of something like this that most people have, have now experienced would be Pennywise. Um, Pennywise is Stephen King's from rip, it from it. Yeah. The, not the band. Um, <laughs> which are, <laughs> oh, the horror, <laughs> the horror of this nineties punk band. Um, it, Pennywise is a, a being that came to earth from the cosmos um, that we don't ever really get a, a, a true understanding of what its true form is. It's interdimensional. It feeds off of causing uh, hallucinations in its victims. Um, there's all sorts of Lovecraft DNA that goes into Pennywise. Um, and it's, I, I'm sure we'll cover Pennywise at some point on the show in more detail, but I think if, if you're looking for like, what what's another entry point or or place where we can right. see what, the that influence. that may be the most uh, well known uh, influenced work or influenced character from this kind of yeah. Lovecraftian mythos and he's much more digestible I think you know it's much more easy for people to say like well he's basically a ghost clown <laughs> you know he, that torments people <laughs> yeah you can describe him in in a couple of words really where one would Lovecraft be it would take yeah. pages and pages and pages. <laughs> 
Yeah, he would and he might not. I mean, some some of this is, you know, addition by subtraction where he 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 only gives you the meagerest details and lets you fill in all of okay. the gaps, you know. Um by the way, another interesting thing about Lovecraft that I remember was that he was a contemporary uh, who corresponded with Robert E. Howard, who, who, of course, wrote the Conan the Barbarian stories. Did you know that? I did not know that, but that makes sense. Oh, yeah. they, they, um, I think they both would probably publish a lot of their works in things publications with names like Weird Tales. Right. Similar, like, periodicals. Absolutely. Um, but they were, they were friends, at least through uh, letter writing. So that's sort of interesting. Hmm. And, and the Conan the Barbarian stories have their own mythos to them you know and, and i don't know if there's any direct if they ever bothered to like try to directly link their universes I, i'm not sure but but that's kind of a weird hmm. just a weird fact that those two guys actually got on pretty okay that makes sense i i kind of it's interesting to see how cthulhu um is used in other lovecraft work so we've talked a little bit about the call of cthulhu which is the, the like I said the central story from which uh, this character comes, but like when you read a shadow over Innsmouth, um, there are characters which do the the chant that I mentioned before or part of it. The definitely the Cthulhu Fatagan part at the end, mm-hmm. um, and the shadow chant of- is lock her up. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, so the. Shadow over Innsmouth is um, a great Lovecraft story. That it doesn't involve Cthulhu directly. It involves a, an entity, I believe, called Dagon, uh, which is another like thing what sweet sleeps under the water uh, mm-hmm. and causes terror. Um, and but this one is, you know, again, this is where they use them. He uses a uh, a miscegenation concept. Now, I, this is Innsmouth. That's that one that I know of. Is like oh, he, he creates like a race of subhumans, kind of. Kind of. So the people of this insular fishing village um, have made contact with some sort of thing that sleeps beneath the waves in a cyclopean city off the coast and are interbreeding with something. And so the people have this quote unquote Innsmouth look where they begin to look more and more like sea creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this kind of like fishy look to them and some in like more profound stages of transformation than others um, with the goal of ultimately, I think they said, you know, frolicking beneath the waves with their um, benefactor. <laughs> you know, they want oh, is there a more terrifying verb than frolicking. Yeah. Like they, they're they're They are happy to be going undergoing this transformation because they will be okay. one with their deity. Um, but you know, for the average human, this is horrific. And you know, the, the narrator is right. touched by, it. but at one point the, there is a reference to Cthulhu in there just to kind of show like, yeah, this is not just him. Like there are these, all, lots of these entities at work in the world um, and, you know, one of these days, one of them is going to, you know, make their presence known far and wide as opposed to say, just tainting one village in New England. Right. So, uh, you know, some of the things that have been borrowed, Arkham is a big town in, in these stories, right? Yes. Massachusetts. That, it's like a fake town he made up as a, as well as Miskatonic University. Mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. They, they so college. Arkham, you know, borrowed, uh, if it sounds familiar to people, borrowed at some point, I don't know who, who decided to appropriate it for the Batman stuff, but Arkham Asylum. That's that's the name of the asylum in Gotham City. Yeah, and I believe uh, there are... Where all the, go ahead. All the villains get uh, locked up, yeah. Yeah, and I believe there are uh, references to Miskatonic 
uh, university somewhere in Batman as well. I forget where, but maybe in some okay. of the comics. So yeah, that's where all the uh, sort of ungodly experiments happen, right? This is a, a story that I'm familiar with, a movie, Reanimator. That's based, I know, on on one of Lovecraftian's story, Lovecraft stories, and that's uh, Jeffrey uh, Combs is his name, isn't it? Right? I think I have not seen Reanimator, so I'll rely. Uh, on you yeah, for it's this. Uh, that's the the actor in it, and I think I got his name right. I feel terrible if I got it wrong, but I believe it's Jeffrey Combs. Anyway, uh, classic '80s just splatter movie, you know, really, really gross stuff, and he's a, it's about this. Uh, I think he's a student, a university student. Got the name of the character, but he develops a serum that reanimates the dead, and so you know everyone starts coming back, and like if you cut someone's head off, the head is still you know going, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's 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 a, it's a hoot. Hmm. I want to see uh, the, just recently that Nicolas Cage, uh, color, color out, out of, of space, space. yeah, which is another Lovecraft story. That's another good one to start with, I believe, because it's very short. You know, I actually read that when I was in, I think, elementary school, if you can believe it. I haven't read a bunch of Lovecraft, but for some reason I read it. And I think the thing was, it's a short story, and I had to do a book report. Ah. I pretended it was a book. Okay. (laughs) And did my book report on on that. What I remember about The Color Out of Space that's interesting is that it was sort of notable because he describes this this, uh, corrupting, like... um, Meteorite. uh, yeah, it's a meteorite and it's a substance and it starts to like the the land gets uh, corrupted by it and the people kind of get but it's it sounds a lot like radiation before we knew much about radiation. And that's what's sort of interesting about it. It sounds a lot like this is like just a radio. I mean, not just, but it it, it sort of mirrors some of the effects that you get with radiation poisoning. So, uh, kind of an interesting uh uh weird little fact about that. But yeah, they did just do a Nicolas Cage movie, which I think just did it even have a theatrical release? But it's called The Color Out of Space. Yeah, it had a short theatrical run. It's supposed to be a lot of just bonkers, awesome stuff, but I have not seen okay. it. Uh, okay. But it's on my list of things I want to get to. Um, the, he does, getting back to Cthulhu himself, so he appears across these stories. Whether or not Cthulhu is even the main um, force behind a lot of the stuff, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it sort of feels like he's the breakout star of the, the Lovecraft mythos, um, which is why it's named after him. Uh, maybe because he's got a very, um, you know, distinctive, um, appearance and, um, you know, the, the story he's in is particularly famous out of Lovecraft's work, but it's not necessarily that Cthulhu is like the, the brains behind the, whatever this force is trying to accomplish. Right. And I, I'm only talking, I also didn't do any real in-depth research into the mythos beyond Lovecraft himself. So sort of like you... You mean the expanded works done by other people? Yeah. So in particular, he handed over the reins, if he handed them over, but the, the reins are sort of handed over to a guy named August Derleth, um, who kind of built on what uh, Lovecraft had done, apparently to some some of it's good, some of it's not so good. Um, and it also muddies the waters a little bit as to what is considered canon. It's a little like, you know, imagine, um, well, Star Wars is a good one here. So you think of like movies one through six are all sort of the brainchild of George Lucas. And then you get movies seven, eight, nine done by other people. You get like different books and TV shows and things. Um, and so the you- droids cartoon. Right. The mid 80s. Definitely. That's canon. (laughs) Yeah. But you have like, you know, in theory, you have like one creative mind kind of controlling like what's in and what's out of the canon. 
mm-hmm. and then slowly that sort of erodes, and you still have like in theory a set of what is and isn't canon now in the Disney I, you know, era. I, but I hate to say it, but like it's hard not to feel like ultimately that path does dilute the universe. You know, it's hard not to feel that way. It certainly happened with Star Wars, in my opinion. You know, it's while it's a fun place to play in a sandbox, and I'm all about getting more out of it, I, I sometimes think it's better served as like a theme park ride at this point than it is as, oh, here's more Star Wars movies. You know, it does just start to feel like there's not a lot of new stuff to say there, you know? Well, also, like, for example, some of the people in Lovecraft's wake who wrote on this started kind of classifying the these entities into like there's the great old ones uh and elder gods and like different sort of groups the of not them. so great old ones the, the not mediocre so... old ones yeah yeah and then they sort of try and build it into like well some of them are good and some of them are evil and they're at war and it's kind of like well no that they're not objectively good or evil they're, the whole point was that they are so far outside of that right right they don't we they can't don't, understand uh, them you can't even apply your notions of good and evil to these things. Um, well, we've talked about this before, just the classic mistake of over-explaining your bad guy. You know, once you there, the, there's nothing scarier than the unknown, and I feel like that's so central to this Lovecraftian lore. Yeah, this is unknown. as far as you can go in that direction. Right, right. it's indescribable. In fact, were you to learn it at all, you'd be driven mad. By the way, I just want to say, I did remember the name of the character from Reanimator, just to defend my bona fides. It's Herbert West. I did remember All right, wow. Just want to throw that out there before anyone accuses me of not being a big old dork. Uh, (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) No one would level that accusation. Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't handle it. Uh, But I do want to get into, unless you've got more you want to say, I kind of want to get into some of these, some of these works and movies and games and stuff that have have been uh, influenced. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's worth talking about. There are, I mean, and one of the fun things about Cthulhu, because he is, a lot of people may not have even heard of him through the stories. They would have heard of him through like memes you know, there's right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Just there, there were a lot of like, you know, um, you know, imagine like a campaign shirt that's you know Cthulhu 2020. You know, right. And um, I believe the slogan is "Why vote for the lesser evil?" Yes. Um, things like that. Um, he's one of those characters, sort of like we talked about with Dracula. Like you can cute him up a little bit. Like you could buy a, a, a Cthulhu plush. It'd be adorable. Um, there's a, there were people go in that direction too. There's a lot. He's the mascot. Like you said, yeah, you can make him into a mascot and have fun with like, Oh, you know, he, the, the tropes of like, he drives people mad and he causes the end of the world. And you know, he's this monster looking thing. Like when taken like to the other end of the spectrum, like, well, we're just going to have fun with these tropes. Like you can, like there is speaking of like games, there's a game called Cthulhu saves the world and it's done as like a top down, 16-bit era, like, RPG sort of looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's just, like, fun to take this character and run with it. There I personally a, prefer uh, the Dread, way, I, but... Yeah, there was a game that never came out, and it looked so cool. I hope they develop it someday. It was like, it just, it somehow the funding fell through or whatever. Uh, it was uh, called Human Resources, and the idea was that the Lovecraftian apocalypse happened... But it happened at the exact same time that the the singularity happened with machines. <laughs> so it's the machines versus the Cthulhu monsters for supremacy of the Earth. 
and um, and you're you know using humans or whatever as resource. That was the joke. Human resources was the name of the game. Huh. But it was such a cool idea. <laughs> just hmm. these two things like just colliding at the exact same moment. You it know, just, yeah, that's something that cannot be driven mad. Right, right. So that was that was one. Um, yeah, a lot of game stuff. If you're if you're a board game geek uh, like I am, it's just there have been so many and role playing games too. There's been so many Lovecraft things. It's funny because we were talking about how people adapted and it gets farther and farther away from the source material. I think with these games, you really have a good example of that because it's not this like slow unfolding of things a lot of times it's like at a certain point you know you, you have a character who's got like two tommy guns and he's like shooting at you know driving in a car and shooting at an octopus monster and it's like that never happened in his stories but that's what happens in these games sometimes and it's fun as hell though. I, I think the best ones do find a way to um adapt the tone of the original stuff somehow that you know maybe it's like all right this game is not going to be about running around and shooting things like it's going to we're going to try and work towards that sense of dread and like terrifying discovery more than uh adrenaline well i'm a fan of there's arkham horror which some people like that's a game i kind of feel like that game sort of plays itself a little bit and it's sort of it's it's almost too ambitious um it's it's got this whole map of of various locations and you're trying to like close portals and all that stuff but um they made one that i like more called mansions of madness which is sort of like one encounter Mm. and um it's really fun i mean like i think it does create that element of like a slow unfolding of dread as you sort of race against the clock to figure out what the fuck is even going on in this location that you're at as your investigators try to sort of solve it and you can all lose i mean you can all blow it um and frequently do so that's those are yeah it's it's been a his stuff has been a hugely influential space in the tabletop gaming world for sure oh yeah but tabletop and video games for sure the, the one i thought of and i do not have i'm for all my geek bona fides i'm not much of a D guy um, th- um but there is a dungeons and dragons type game called call of cthulhu call of cthulhu which i actually i haven't done a lot of role-playing game in my life uh role-playing gaming but i did play call of cthulhu when i was very young at a role playing game convention that I went to with my brother, and it was it was fun. We actually did like some kind of uh, old west themed thing, so that was hmm. sort of neat. That is cool. I think Lovecraft stories, for the most part, at least all the ones that I've read, are like he doesn't uh, jump around in time or space much. Pretty much all of his stuff is like, no, I'm I'm going to write about New England in the twenties. Like that's what I'm. Which of course about. now that people do, they set a lot of his stories in the twenties because that's yeah they're sort of paying homage to that um there's a sam neill movie that i <laughs> that i liked when i saw uh, in the mouth of madness have you ever seen that one the mouth or mountains no it's called in the mouth of Madness. okay because the, the, the lovecraft story is at the mountains of madness right that's a famous lovecraft story this is not a direct adaptation but it's it's clearly i think he's like a publisher a book publisher or something um and anyway somehow he gets kind of embroiled in this thing and it's it's definitely one of those movies that like has a as a un, i believe an unhappy ending you know or, or at least a heavily implied unhappy ending it's interesting because mm-hmm. sam neill was also in event horizon which i would argue is like space lovecraft that movie has yeah. a lot of the same ideas of, of being driven insane you know, right you've been exposed that come to from it. another yeah so those so sam neill to me is sort of the the actor that I heavily associate with these Lovecraftian adaptations, but those are two. Hey, if you're looking for some good Lovecraft movies, I recommend or, or Lovecraft adjacent. 
Event Horizon and uh, In the Mouth of Madness are a couple of good ones. Yeah, I would also... And Reanimator. Yeah, I would also... Uh, and, and, of course, The Thing, which we already talked about. I would... Um, again, I, I think I referenced this in The Thing episode, but there's a, another podcast called Unfilmable uh, that is explicitly... Their, their whole beat is covering Lovecraft adaptations, which is uh, worth a listen if you like getting into this stuff. Um, and I think it's, it is worth getting into because, like I said, this is such a hugely influential um, concept that, you know, like we were not just all the movies talked about and, and, and games, uh, and, and other books, but like the, when you look at like an influential horror author, it's hard to think of one more influential, even guys like Poe, like, I, I don't think Edgar Allan Poe's stuff is as heady as Lovecraft, like the concepts Poe's working with. Um, well, yeah, well, when I, when I think about like, you know, so you have like Pennywise, but when I think about the stuff that Lovecraft left behind that King picks up on is, is often this idea of just a huge pervasive threat. You know, this thing is way bigger, you know, and you're just scratching the surface. There's plenty of King stories that are like that, you know? Yeah, true. Um, or, and also- Although King uh, is a little bit, he definitely believes in concepts of good and evil and he's not ashamed of it. You know, he'll definitely write about, Heroic acts and, and characters that are actually genuinely good. Yeah. Uh, which I, I'm fine with. You know, it's a little more of that Spielbergian <clears throat> approach. I think King likes to give his characters a fighting chance against the right. darkness. Th- th- sometimes the stories end with a relative happy ending. Yeah, that's not bad necessarily in the right story. You know, I think I think Lovecraft stories wouldn't work with a happy ending. No, that's not the point he's making. No, no. The point is exactly what we talked about, which is like, oh, no, we're all doomed. And, you know, the worst thing that could happen to you is realizing just how doomed we all are. Which is really, I mean, you know, existential dread is that's the scariest thing because that we all we're actually at that point, I think, where we're talking about what resonates about this character and the works that he inhabits. That's a that's a that's always in the back of our minds. You know, you, all you can you can't turn it off. You can just turn it down. Yeah, I think that's exactly the point he's making. And also, like when we think about our, our about death, you know, we think about it. We encounter it in our daily lives from time to time. We think about our own mortality, um, but that's still fairly small and personal. <coughs> Excuse me. It's no, hard to you got the Rona. I hope not. Um, <laughs> But it's hard to take that and then say, like, no, 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 like, on a cosmic level, you know, the, you know, we are in this, you know, death spiral. Not, not just individual people, but all, humanity as a whole, the planet. Like, you know, we are, we are just marking time until mm-hmm. this happens. I would also argue the, the idea of insignificance is very upsetting because... I'm not to be cynical, but I do think a lot of people are attracted to religion because it it gives you a sort of this audience, you know, this this entity that's looking at your life and looking at you and has plans for you, right? And, and is benevolent. <laughs> and is benevolent on top of it. And here's Lovecraft to tell you, not only is that not true, <laughs> you know, but you just don't matter at all. You are just, you're nothing, you know? Yeah. You're gonna be here and you're going to blink out and it's just not going to affect anything. And I think it's also worth no- looking at the society in which Lovecraft wrote this, right? And then back in the 1920s, you're going to find way more people who are religious than they are now. True. And there's a far more controversial notion. Well, it's the idea of going to take. Imagine taking like you know your average like you know the nice person you meet at church on a Sunday, and saying, "By the way, not only are you wrong, 
you should know just how wrong you are that what if you like the bible you got to read this (laughs) yeah like oh you know how you like this nice man who helped people have a big lunch out of fishes and loaves okay nice story here's the real deal there is a <laughs> giant a man. <laughs> there's a giant beneath the ocean who has nothing but eyes and tentacles and mouths. <laughs> and if he ever wakes up, that's it. We're all fucked. And right. we all go insane and tear each other to pieces. That's, you know, best case be. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, There's some wine well, yeah, and cheese so after the so, so, so I would argue then that it's it's this existential dread and and the insanity that it breeds. That to me is the resonant concept behind Cthulhu and why he why he endures, why he's why he's accessible because Absolutely. we all kind of that fear that at the end. Yeah, I I agree. I think I th- we I think we can call this mythos. Busted. <laughs> um, but before we do that, uh, we have some other things we got to do. One, uh, we haven't done this in a while. I forgot. Uh, we haven't done any fan casting. Um, <laughs> we usually fan cast. Yeah, um, who's your ideal we, Cthulhu? Okay. We didn't do it for Luther or the Witch. So, or I can't, did we even do it for Capone? I don't remember. But uh, we should get back into the fan casting. It's hard to do. Yeah. It's a shame he's gone. But I think Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> <laughs> would have captured him. He, but he would be in like tidy whities right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and crying. Right. I think he's been in movies where he's risen from slumber. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he has. Uh, uh, what about you? Have you? Have you? Have I, you I think uh, I'm gonna take make the safe choice and say Andy Circus. You know, in a in a mocap suit. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, you know the thing that I like about these older works, these eighties movies is that you get a lot of nice, like real, like pulpy physical, practical effects, which I'm always a sucker for, you know, puppeteering and wet, slimy latex. Lots of slime. Uh, And to do that in CGI is fine, but you know, you'll always find me kind of uh, pushing back against that. There's a a distance between you and whatever that object is. Right, right. Yeah. But you're right. If it were to happen today, which um, it will, because people are going to keep adapting these stories, Andy Serkis is obviously going to be your go-to guy. And yeah. then uh, we have to do uh, the title fight. versus Lex Luthor, which, boy, if we, we're just giving away a million-dollar idea here. Well, I, the only thing I'll give to Luthor is um, he wants the end of the world to happen to some degree. He's always, like, courting... You know, although well, he'd have to figure world. out a way to end up on top, right? That's that's the that's thing. his thing, is right. He you know he doesn't mind if the world ends so long as he's sitting on the top of the pile of rubble. But so he could align with Cthulhu, but then I think Cthulhu is so far and beyond human concern, and you know, obviously impossible for Luther to defeat. Like it's this is kind of a freebie one, I think. Like you know, what what hope does any person stand against this thing? Right, right. It would it would. Um... Here's here's how it goes down in my mind, you know the the threat of Cthulhu is ever growing, and Lex Luthor says to the Justice League, "You know what? I'm a human being. We all stand to lose. I'm going to help you guys. Okay, fine. But at some point in that process, it becomes clear that he's betrayed the Justice League and has tried to make some kind of deal with Cthulhu, who ultimately drives him so mad that he puts on his cyber suit." <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> and fights the Justice League because that's always how it goes. Yeah. But I mean, it'd be something like that in my mind that he would somehow try to like sell them out unbeknownst to them. Yeah, he would try. Uh, I don't think he would succeed though. I think, you know. Cth- well, that's the thing. It's like you don't have conversations with Cthulhu. Right. And, and by definition, almost Cthulhu has to win. You know, I mean, it's it's in the kind of the character's core that like 
it, right. it brings about this the is a question is is this a is this a comic book story or is this a lovecraft story that we're writing right if it's a lovecraft story cthulhu wins if it's a comic book story you know we, the, the disaster is delayed indefinitely right that i i think that's the right answer and we should note uh i don't remember if this was just us talking offline or if we ever said this on the podcast but cthulhu did go up against the real ghostbusters yes in uh, in the right. cartoon um uh, so that might be uh that might be worth checking out too. I'm sure you can find. I think you can find some a clip of it at least on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure. I uh, oh, and the other thing I didn't, I forgot to mention about Cthulhu that I, I wanted to talk about was that uh, my daughter and I have a Cthulhu game that we play, although she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't understand okay. what it is. Um, mm-hmm. No, so this game came about because I was lazy one day and she wanted to play, and I was just like, I'm so tired. And so <laughs> Daddy I laid wants to down sleep beneath the ocean, <laughs> kind of. I, so I laid down in the middle of the floor. And I started wiggling my arms and legs. And basically the goal was, you know, to run past me without me, like, catching her. Okay. And so I, they were like tentacles. And I started chanting this, like, Mr. Tentacles, Mr. Tentacles. And then I started adding on to it, like, <laughs> sleeps in the sunken city of Relier, Cthulhu. Oh, Jesus, Just Jesus doing it. <laughs> Just You're doing admitting that. to child abuse. <laughs> I, I know. But now she started, uh, she's, she learned it. And so now she wants to play Mr. Tentacle sometimes. And we'll do the little chant. And it's cute. So I might, uh, well, I might good. record you, a clip of that. You know what, you're inoculating her against this so she won't be driven mad inevitably when Cthulhu returns. She'll be like, oh, this is like the game we used to play. Right. You remember? Here's Mr. Tentacles. You can shake his hand. Hey, it's Mr. Um, Tentacles. Mr. Tentacles. Uh, so, it's, again, father you're of the year fun. material over here. No, you're fun. That's cute. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of does it for... Oh, uh, so we're, gonna, of, we're giving it to Cthulhu. We're just going to say that victory is awarded to Cthulhu because it always yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as we uh, start to wind this one down, I did want to mention uh, we are start now that these things are in the wild... Uh, we've got a review on iTunes, so I wanted to read that and say thank you. Um, oh, this person wrote, uh, the review is from the the name is America's Mayor McCheese. Uh, he is America's is, Mayor. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of like so he's like Ruby's Giuliani. <laughs> the thing I can come <laughs> up with. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so the person wrote, uh, just to give them credit, they wrote, Vital, vibrant discussion of our greatest monsters from two indelibly, uh, incredibly insightful and hilarious hosts. I love each episode, or I leave each episode with both the smartest and dumbest parts of my brain deeply stimulated. Um, thank Do you I, very can much. I just compliment you on that writing. That was fantastic. I, well I wish I had written that. No, I, and I also <laughs> wish that my online name was as clever as America's Mayor McCheese, which it is not. Um, but no, thank you're you. the guy that came up with our Twitter handle podcast, but so. <laughs> I didn't underscore, but, um, I, I didn't come up with it. I, Twitter just like assigned it. It was weird. I, like I said, I, t- they asked the name of your thing. I said, podcast, but evil. And just said, here's your handle. I'm like, ugh. So anyway, but that is our handle. It's podcast on at podcast underscore butt. Uh, if you have feedback to send us, which we'd love to hear from you, if you got um, ideas for things we should cover or just uh, thoughts on the, yeah. the the subjects we've talked about thus far, we're pretty we're getting pretty current now. We're not recording too far in advance, so yeah, let us know if there's somebody out there you think we should uh, we should deal. We should give the podcast but evil treatment to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've got our list of stuff, but we we definitely want to hear from you. And um, there's there's plenty to go around for sure. Um, whatever you got to say, we want to hear it. So, um, I think- and definitely leave a review because it helps us, and it helps us just feel less alone. And I think that's enough. 
I that probably uh, that that'll do it for now, at least, and or until uh, Cthulhu wakes and we're all dragged down into the depths. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, so uh, with Mr. that, Mr. Tentacles, Tentacles, Mr. Tentacles. Uh, all right, uh, gentlemen, too evil. Clink. All right, you ready to sing the Mr. Tentacle song? Master Tentacles, deep in the sunken city, rolling. Cthulhu for talking. Cthulhu for talking. Cthulhu for talking. Cthulhu for talking. Very good, sweetie. Thank you.